Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, along with J.J. Cooper. I'm John Manuel. We're coming to you from the Baseball America's uh, new DeMarini Demo House podcast nook. We'll be recording lots of media, we hope, here over the years here at uh, Baseball America, and we are pleased that they're brought to you by DeMarini Demo House. When it comes to buying a baseball bat, DeMarini just changed the game. Introducing Demo House, where you can step into the cage and hit the latest from DeMarini before you buy, because there's no substitute for hitting a real baseball or talking to people who know both bats and batting. Your demo time in the cage is free. Get the season started right. Visit your nearest de- demo house today. Locations and full details can be found at demarini.com backslash demo house. That's demarini.com backslash demo house. And, J.J., I've actually gone to the demarini demo house to see how that works uh, online. And I think I'm going to take uh, the boy. I think Alex will be making a trip there when things warm up a little bit and I can get him off the tee and uh, start pitching to him a little bit. That's one of the joys of uh, fatherhood and one of the joys of working at Baseball America is uh, we get some free tchotchke here from time to time. So none of the tchotchke he's using right now actually is free. Actually I'm looking all forward to leveraging some of those contacts in the future. That's, that's the way I try to use that. We And we also leverage our contacts here at Baseball America to bring you all the reporting that we do, all of our top tens in the off season. And uh, we're wrapping up our top ten prospects, J.J. We've wrapped up the prospect handbook. We're wrapping up the directory. All our books get done earlier, which makes for a very very busy December and January here at Baseball America. But we both work on the American League Central. It just spreads the pain. Basically, instead of it being something where it's now kind of a December, January, February rush, and then, oh, season's here. That's right. Whereas before it was a... January, February, wow, I'm going to die. The, se- the season's busy, but the, the off-season is more stressful. I mm-hmm. guess that's what I'd say. The season's still is easier to do because it just generates content. The season's, the, and the and season's so more fun. fun. There's no doubt it's more <laughs> so fun. So you wake up, oh, what did people do yesterday? That's right. But that said, doing top 10s is fun. Top 30s, those are fun to do. They just take a lot more work. Uh, now, you did the Royals. This is, what, year two of you doing the Royals? Year two of the Royals. And uh, I did the Twins. I think this is year four of me doing the Twins. So let's talk American League Central. Let's let's talk about the other organizations real quick because I know we'll talk more about the, the Twins and Royals. Um, Chicago White Sox, Cleveland Indians, Detroit Tigers. And one of the things that we're doing this year is this, and we'll talk about this, is the decade in review as the intro page to the top tens. And the one thing that you notice there is that the Indians have had a really great year in terms of farm talent this decade. And that's almost kind of counterintuitive because they've drafted so conservatively. I wouldn't say poorly. I would say conservatively. And they've drafted a lot of low-ceiling guys toward the top of the draft. But you look at the talent that's paraded through Cleveland uh, in in the aughts. Well, it, it's, it's it's pretty good. And the part of me say about the draft, one of the things is is that a, a big chunk of that is still, you know, like if you say what did the Indians produce this decade, they they just fleece the Expos. They did. They fleece the Expos, the Bart Cologne trade. Bart. <laughs> I think I'm the only one who calls them Bart. But yeah. the Bartolo Cologne trade, producing Sizemore, Lee, and Brandon Phillips, that's a ridiculous trade. That's just I mean, a that, ridiculous trade. That right there. Stay you know, hot, Omar Marino, Omar Marino, I mean, that that's basically three of their top five prospects they produce this decade. Yeah. So, you know, you, you take that away, and then and the Indians farm system doesn't, I mean, it's still good, but it doesn't there's look some, nearly as good. There's some other fleece trades in there, because Travis Hafner, IIRC, was for Einar Diaz, yes. is that correct? Yes. Panama's best catcher. So <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't really, Einar Diaz should not have, I mean, Travis Hafner was thumping in the minor leagues all along at that time, too. And, and really, so what <laughs> the story of it really is, is, is that... You have CeCe Sabathia, 90s draft. Right. And then you have, after that, Grady Sizemore, Victor Martinez, who was, uh, you know, signed, you know, 
for that. I mean, that was a, a truly homegrown. Right. Cliff Lee, Travis Hafner, Brandon Phillips. You know, it's the kind of just that sign again that there are more than one way to build up a farm system. That's right. And that's what, I mean, hey, they've done it, you know, I mean, they're still doing it. You know, hey, here's Casey Blake, here's a shiny bobble. Can we that's have, it. Can we have Carlos Santana? That's exactly what they're still doing. The Sabathia trade, they didn't get great return on. The Cliff Lee trade, they didn't get great return on. But they do have, I think it's a top ten farm system. They have excellent depth in the farm system, and they do have some nice prospects toward the top. And, and I think they have been more aggressive the last couple of years in the draft, and I like it. And it's not just because they're from North Carolina, but I am a fan of both Lonnie Chisholm and Alex White. And uh, both products of North Carolina's uh, 2006 high school class, as it were. Uh, Lonnie went one year to South Carolina, then one year to junior college. It was an 08 draft pick, and Alex White, 09. So you think about it, both those guys were drafted with double-digit picks out of high school in the 2006 draft. I think Chisholm Hall was an 11th rounder of the Pirates, who tried to sign him to an above-slot deal, could not get that done. And Alex White was a 14th rounder of the Dodgers, and the Dodgers threw six figures, large six figures at him. And he really wanted to go to North Carolina, pitched in the College Series for three years, and uh, had an excellent career for the Tar Heels and became a first-rounder three years later. Well, uh, and I, I like what Ben Badler said when he was doing the chat for, you know, he did the uh, the Indians list, and he made the comment, he's like, you know, what stood out to him was is that this he thought the system had true depth. Absolutely. And what he meant by that was, he said, you know, look, Every system, or almost every system, because there's been years that you can remember a system or two that doesn't. But well, he also does the Astros, right. so talk about lack <laughs> yeah, of Yeah, talk about, but he said, you know, every system has a guy who throws 97 and has no clue where it's going. You know, that doesn't by itself make, That's right. that doesn't stand out. Ooh, look, this guy, you know, is number 20. Yeah, if everything, you know, aligns, you know, if the plants align properly, he'll be something. But, you know, he said, I, this, you know, you go past the top 10 in the Indian system, and you're still talking about guys who you can legitimately say, hey, I think this guy's got a pretty good chance to, right. to do something. And that's the thing. Uh, it's, a, it's a good point he makes, and one that has been driven home to me by pro scouts and other organizations as well. When I started getting excited about guys with big arms, you know, everyone's got guys with big arms. Like, I think I fell into this a little bit. I still fall into this every year. A guy like Adam Reefer in the Cardinals system last year. We ran the Cardinals at the 8th. And I remember one of the reasons I was really bullish on the Cardinals was Adam Reefer is this high ceiling, although oft injured relief pitcher. And that's the thing is that's the reason that you really can't build a farm system ranking and uh, rank a farm system high because they have lots of good relief pitchers. I mean, you do need that, but but, uh, but that's not yeah that's, that's not how. You, and that, like Nathan Jones is another guy I started to get really pumped up about with the White Sox this year, and uh, he does have breaking stuff too. He's got a couple good pitches. He doesn't just throw in the upper nineties. And it, and it comes out easy. Nathan Jones can be seductive, but basically, to watch the to watch him pitch. But the track record of performance isn't necessarily there. And uh, you know, and, like you said, everyone's got to go. Like and and again, the, the thing about it especially is, is that when you think about projecting forward relievers, you know, we talk about this a lot of times. You know, when we're doing top tens, hey, you always downgrade relievers because the reality of it is, is that hey, that starting pitcher who's number seven on this list right. may end up not making as a starter, but. He's still, you know, you move into the pen and all of a sudden he's really interesting. Well, beyond that, how many guys that come up through the farm system, I mean, how many impact closers come right. out of that? Because if you're not an impact closer, then you're a nice guy to have. I mean, really, to me, like, uh, how many Joe Nathans are there? You know, and, uh, and Mario Rivera is in a whole other category. I mean, he's the best reliever of all time. We're not even going to compare anyone to Mario Rivera. Right, but Rivera. the thing about it is this, you can't project anyone. You can't where? project right. Mariano Rivera. Exactly. That's the thing is, is that... It's very difficult to project Joe Nathan. Right, That's but I'm if saying. you tell me, if you say, hey, this guy could be the next Mario Rivera, when it's the same thing as when people say, well, does this guy remind you of Greg Maddox? You right. don't compare exactly anyone right. to that because, look, That's the only time you can do that is Nolan Ryan 
is, you know, a 20-year-old and you go, you know what, look at this stuff. He's got this fastball, this curveball. Then if you want to project that he could be a dominating power pitcher, but you can't do that for anyone when you say, well, he's got this really good cutter. Right, that's right. Because no one could have projected, you know, the best scout the Yankees had would not have projected at that point, hey, we think Mario Rivera is going to be the best closer of all time. Aaron Fitt and I were going through uh, past college preview issues for uh, the, this year's college preview and assembling some past stuff for, from the archives. And we found a 95 issue uh, pre going into the 95 season with an org report on Mario Rivera. And it says, the cut line of the photo just says, one pitch repertoire may fit better in bullpen. So <laughs> yes, we fit. were on it, but he, I don't think anybody knew. <laughs> it fit just really how well, well over there. In the bullpen, exactly. Uh, we're done the Baseball America podcast. I'm John, and he's JJ. Quickly, JJ, the White Sox and the Tigers uh, organizations. These are both organizations that are very willing to deal. Right. I don't think they have any interest in having a high-ranked farm system. They have interest in trying to win in their, uh, you know, in, in Detroit. Boy, just difficult situation with the economy in that city and. Uh, they've been creative this offseason. They just were creative again the other day, uh, signing Jose Valverde, the closer of the Astros, and giving up a first-round pick to do it. You must wonder how much of that is budget-driven. Because they've, they've got to win now because they have a veteran core, but they're trying to supplement that veteran core with some younger, low-cost talent, which is why they make the Curtis Granderson trade. Well, like the White Sox, I thought the White Sox actually had a very good year farm-wise last year. Yes, they did. But I don't think when you look at this top ten, you don't really get the full effect of that because, again, what the White Sox do, what they do almost, I, I think of them as what the Cardinals did in the 90s where it's like, you know, or, you know, in the early, you know, in the early aughts where it's that idea of the farm system's there to give us pieces to help us move forward. And that's what they've done. I mean, right. they, you know, but the trades that they did last year, mean that you look at this White Sox top 10, and it's probably better than their White Sox top 10 was going into last year, but yeah. it's not a whole lot better. You know, I really actually I love their top five prospects. Uh, you, would, it, would it be better if they had one more impact pitcher? Maybe. But their top five prospects, I think there are four regulars there. I think Jared Mitchell, Tyler Flowers, Brett Morrell, and Jordan Banks are all going to be, I know I have a chance, not that they'll be regulars, but to use the antiquated term, first division regulars. And uh, the question with Tyler Flowers, and the reason we didn't put him number one, as I don't think we're 100% convinced this guy's going to be an everyday catcher in the big leagues. He's 6'4", 220, and it's not that he's too big to catch. His size and athleticism ratio is not, say, what it is for, say, Joe Maurer or Matt Wieters. So I'm not convinced he's going to be a catcher for more than two or three years in the big leagues, or that if he is a catcher, that defense will be an asset for him. But I do think he could hit, and I think Jim Callis and I are both very bullish on Jared Mitchell. I, I, I think he's right, got yeah. superstar potential. Right. I, I, the one I'll disagree with you is Jordan Danks. I think he may be, he may end up being a regular at some he's point. I don't question. think he's a first division regular. I think if you project him out, he's more of that kind of that guy who ends up being in good years, a useful player. In other years, you go, you know, maybe we need a little more bat out there. That's right. I think he's got, a, you know, basically, I think he's got a chance to be Aaron Rowland. You know, a guy who's never going to have above average power, and in his good years, is going to have average power, and when he's got a down year, to be a little bit below average. But I think he's going to be a center fielder, so I think it won't matter as much. And uh, that's, that's the, I mean, he's, obviously, the comparison doesn't work 100%. He's right handed versus, I mean, he's left handed versus right handed, but I like the athleticism. I really like Brett Morrell. I think Brett Morrell's got. A uh, you know, good version Joe Randa written all over him, and probably a better defender, but like a good, solid, average offensive player. Not an all-star, but a solid, average offensive player and a good defender at third and brings some secondary skills. You know, I think he's going to steal some bases in the big leagues early career. I, I like Brent Morrell quite a bit. And Dan Hudson, it's hard not to like Dan Hudson. I mean, uh, what, what, what is there not to like about this guy? I mean, he, 
pitched well in the big leagues in relief. I think he's got a chance to start in the big leagues as well. The little inside thing, just the little, yeah, you know, how, how things go. Um, we joke about, like, when a guy has a, a long stat line in the issue, that means we can write less about him in our top ten because right. you have to still fit that stat, and there's a fixed amount of space. Ah, print media. Dan Hudson is the nightmare when it comes to that <laughs> because right. you have on his line, he started in low A, he Back went right, to high A, he college. went to double A, he went to triple A, <laughs> and he made the majors. Basically, he, right. He, he pulled the trifecta. You don't, you know, you, he hit every level along the way. That's it. So you basically have left to right background, uh, went to college, got drafted, went to big leagues and stayed in one year. Strengths, throws hard, gets lighter. Weaknesses, inexperienced, right. uh, limited ceiling of third or fourth starter. The future will be in major leagues. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's that's like, all you got room to say, basically. You know, I mean, like you compare that to a guy who did not play, you know, did not sign, you know, play, you know, signed, you know, late. Is it's like okay, there's another hundred words there. That's right. And then Detroit, we got to move on. But Detroit, uh, biggest typo of the top ten issues, which we won't bring your attention yeah. to, but we're disappointed about. Um, and then you know, n- probably never a good sign of the Tigers. You know, number one prospect pretty much every year uh, is there for whoever they draft in the first round that year. <laughs> that's pretty much that's pretty much what they do. Like but in, two, in 2005, it was Granderson, and that year they just drafted Verlander, and he just signed late. There's some real questions about Verlander in college, so he was number three that year. Shockingly, he was behind Kyle Sleeth, who'd reached Double A that year. And Kyle was uh, never to be seen again. But that was through, the peak of the Kyle. But Sleeth throughout year. this their, their history, the last ten years, basically whoever they draft that year becomes their first round, their, their number one prospect the next year, and that's well. Purcello was two had, years, yeah, right. Uh, Purcello was two years, and then he's not even eligible anymore because they jumped the guy from A ball to the big leagues, and he obviously made but it work. That that being said, uh, there are things I like about this list, like mm-hmm. Jacob, you know, Jacob Turner at number one. While he did, you know, you would like him to be a number two right now. You'd like to actually see him throw a professional right. pitch before you made number one, but he's going to be number two, number three in most any system, you know, in most systems out there because yeah. of the upside there. Their most fascinating prospect to me is Casey Crosby. Casey Crosby, too, is not, I mean, uh, there are a lot of teams who have a number two who's more, maybe more proven, but right. as far as upside, Crosby's pretty good. You've got, you know, Andy Oliver at number four is, again, there's a lot of upside there, and, they you know, they got a number six guy, Alex Avila, who basically... Now came out of nowhere, right? But was their everyday big league catcher by yeah. the end of the season? It's so surpri- it's surprising that because uh, I tell you, Alex Avila was the guy I tried to ask people about in the Eastern League, and people in the Eastern League like Scott Sizemore better than Alex Avila. If at least the guys that I talked to, I'm like I talked to everyone in the league, and I'll also admit that the Erie manager never called me back. I believe it was Tom Brookins, and there were two managers I didn't talk to in that league. Managers or coaching staffs, or I had no contact with, and he was one of them. So, but the other scouts I talked to in that league, I know I thought there were at least two guys who had eerie coverage, and obviously I talked to other managers about that team. Every time I throw Alex Avila's name out, I got the same thing. Boy, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see him going to the big leagues and hitting 16 home runs. I got that very consistently, J.J. And, no, and, and, and everyone in that league liked Scott Sizemore better, but Detroit definitely likes Avila better because when our Eastern League, Eastern League list went up, I got two emails from people in the Tiger system and both went, Avila's not anywhere in the 20, and now I I'm, 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 I don't have a good answer for that. I did not, as a reporter, I guess, report that enough. I could not find one person at league who liked Alex Avila. So I'm skeptical, um, but obviously that organization likes him a bit. I think their list really falls off after at that point. Avila, Gustavo Nunez, I think Sizemore right. could be a, 
a league average regular early in his career while he's cheap, I think he but has value. Gustavo Nunez is, you know, a long ways away. Yeah. Uh, Walker Ramirez. Ramirez, there's some big, pretty big holes there. He's just a, basically a tease, in my mind. And he's Daniel Fields has basically yet to, I mean, he's the, the future is yet to come for That's him. That's right. He has, a, he has a long, long way to go. It's uh, the Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. Let's go ahead and take our uh, quick email question here, JJ. Um, you can, uh, of course, email us at podcast at baseballamerica.com. You also uh, can follow us. Uh, we've got our, our official Facebook page just up and running this week. We're a little late to the Facebook party, but you can join us on our official Facebook page, uh, or you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash baseballamerica. So go to the DeMarini Demo House inbox. That's right. That's right. We, we, I, we, can, we, we have DeMarini Demo House's name all over the podcast. <laughs> and so the DeMarini Demo House uh, podcast inbox, a question from a new uh, podcast uh, questioner, Greg Ruhlman from Chicago. Uh, could you please discuss the Aroldis Chapman signing? I'm interested not just because of the obvious irony of a Cuban ending up on a team called the Reds, which that's, that's funny, but he's also a diehard Reds fan. He, has, he wants to know the implications this will have for Reds' rotation, payroll flexibility, and what it means for the Reds' farm system and their approach to signing international talent. So, J.J., you do the Reds. Let's delve into this. We both uh, were involved in our World Baseball Classic prospect ranking both, last yeah, year. And we both love the World Baseball Classic that's to right. a point that's almost uh, I mean, when, when James Beresford got a double off a roll as Chapman, I was so moved that I live-blogged the rest of that game, which was kind of ridiculous. Um, still probably one of the craziest uh, work-wise things I, I, I've yeah, done. I, believe that I, was, I can't explain. You, I will point out, I think that live-blogging was going on at some time like 12.20 in the... Uh, yeah, Eastern time. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was going on for a while. But uh, so we both have some, some perspective on a roll as Chapman. I'm excited for Cincinnati, as uh, Dean Smith would say, uh, signing a as Chapman. He's not a slam dunk, but if there's anybody you can take a chance on, and a high-risk, high-reward guy, I think it's a left-hander that throws 100 miles an hour and has premium athletic ability, so it seems. Well, I completely agree in that. I think what the Reds did here, you know, people keep mentioning the $30 million, and it's true. They're, they have guaranteed him $30 million. That being said... If you're going to take a flyer, this is the way to take it. I mean, right. they don't—they didn't have to cut him a check for thirty million dollars. Right. They will be paying this in two thousand and you know twenty. Right. They'll still be finishing this up. So they spread out the. It's not going to be this giant hit on their payroll that you know the Reds can't afford. I mean, the Reds could not compete to get a role as Chapman if it was something where you said, okay, look, I want the largest amount of money that I can receive right now. There's just no way that they could have competed. That being said, the Reds are never going to be able to go out and sign a potential number one starter on the free agent market. And if you even look at it in the draft, the reality of it is, is they're not going to have much of a chance. They don't. They're not a team that goes out there generally. And you know, if they Jacob have a turn, chance, they just don't. Right, take but those yeah, kind of but I'm saying, well, the, uh, let me say that their ownership does not seem to be the the. the the wanting to be out there saying, okay, Jacob Turner's there, hey, you go ahead and sign, you know, right. and we know it's going to go well above slot. Right. That doesn't seem to be something that they're willing to do. You know, they're not going to butt, buck that's butt that way. MO, that's for sure. That right. is not their MO. If that's the case, this is one of the rare chances they have, especially it's a rare chance they have. I mean, they were in on uh, Anoa, you know, a couple of years ago, not like the last team or anything, but right. they were interested. They were. But in this case, you get a, a 21-year-old who's a lot closer to the big leagues and you're taking kind of that same flyer in some ways because, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questions like, A, you know, he's never had command. Right. Like, is he going to develop it? I don't think he'll ever have command, but he doesn't right. need it. He really doesn't need command. Right. He needs to be able to throw strikes. He doesn't need to be able to put the ball exactly where he wants right. it to be. 
and B, you have to see how is he going to adjust to life in the U.S. Because that's always that's to me, you know, I don't want to overemphasize it, but that's forty, fifty percent of right. whether a Cuban defector makes it or not. The Cubans who have come here and come close to living up the hype are guys who've had some real athletic ability. Kenny Morales is not the athlete that he was in Cuba. He gained a lot of weight, but. He but was he athletic, athletic enough that he retained yeah. it. But if you look at the early reports on him, he was thought to be athletic enough to be a third baseman or corner outfielder. Now he's clearly a first base DH, but his bat is good enough to carry him there. He was athletic and enough that he could lose some athleticism and still be good enough to be and a big And from everything that I've been told from talking to scouts, especially now these are you know talking to people outside of the Reds organization, um, Chapman is a premium athlete. I think I, and one that's of, the interesting right. tidbit. How can, you, how can you throw 101 miles an hour without having that kind of fast twitch athleticism? Right, but an interesting tidbit I got was is I was talking to someone about Arguelles, and he mentioned, he said about, well, you know, we heard from Arguelles that, you know, when we asked about Chapman, and he said, well, he just remembers him, you know, basically being a position player, you know, growing up, and his arm was just so good that they eventually moved him to the mound. And right. I've not really remembered that from, you know, this is Chapman you're talking Chapman. about. And he also had a boxing background, correct? I believe. That I was, think I that, that's why I read is that he had a boxing background so, as well, which is still big in Cuba. So you, you are talking about there's, you know, there's athleticism there. Now we'll, you know, hey, we'll see. the The key thing is is that this is. I don't think the Reds can expect this move to pay off in 2010. Which you you listen to their press conference and talk, you know, Jockey talking about it. He seems to have an idea. Maybe he's in the rotation at the start of the season. Mm. To me, this is a move more of 2000. I mean, at the earliest, you're talking that 2011. You're hoping once Arroyo and Harang, who've been their best pitchers over the last several years, but you know, consistently, they're gone. You know, their contracts are done. But then you're looking at a rotation of. Cueto, Volquez, who will be back a year from the Tommy John at that right. point, Homer Bailey, Chapman, and Mike Leake. And that could be something. That could be something. They could be onto something. And the thing is, uh, to answer Greg's other part of the question, yeah, the Reds have been very aggressive internationally the last couple of years anyway. I mean, uh, Jorman Rodriguez. Ron Duran and Jorman Rodriguez, they both went, you know, they spent $4.5 million on those two guys, right? So, right. I mean, so the, they've been very active in recent years internationally. And, uh, yeah, they, Tony Arias has a long track record. He did a lot of, uh, you know, international stuff with the Blue Jays. Comes over with Chris Buckley into the uh, Reds front office and, the, you know, there's veteran scouts involved on the international side for Cincinnati. So this really isn't new. They've been set up to spe- – they've been aggressive internationally the last couple of years, and they're going to keep on being aggressive. And, and what does it do from a BA perspective? We'll see when the we do our you know our wrap-up of organizational talent rankings. Right. We'll do one for the handbook. We'll do one for the – But Chapman the jumps to the front of their prospect. Yeah. Chapman Bruxton, he's number one in their system, and it jumps the system itself. We'll probably jump several spots because th- of it. I think it will. And uh, you mentioned Noel Arguez, so that gets us back to the uh, American League Central, J.J., because you did the Royals list. Let's go to the Royals. And Norl Arguez signed. We have both Chapman and Arguez in the prospect handbook. They're in the appendix section. They were not officially signed by the time we had our transaction deadline for the uh, prospect handbook. Uh, so Arguez and Chapman scout were, scouting reports are there. Arguez, the Royals got for $7 million, and that's a major league deal as well, is it not? Yeah. And, and this is a guy who was compared to Francisco Liriano by two scouts I talked to when he's defected uh, at the World Junior Championships in the summer of 2008. Now, he is not... Uh, the prospect that Chapman is, but he is intriguing. He's a lefty with arm strength, and he showed a plus slider. Flashed right. it. A little more pitchability than than Chapman has. Right, and you know, topped out at 93 as an 18-year-old. There's nothing wrong with that. And he's my Facebook friend, so hi, Noel. <laughs> but uh, but you know, where would, where would where would where uh, would Mr. Where would Senor Arguez rank in the Royals' uh, top ten? Uh, we we had him at three, and talking it over. Although 
the thing I, I just had the, the Royals chat, and the comment I made in that was is that if you once you get past one and two, if you argued number, you know, if you put one to argue Tim Melville, who's number six, is mm-hmm. number three, and Noel Aguilas, who would then move to seven, right? I you could do that. you could do that. Like there's a bunch here between Will Myers is number three before Aguilas signed, and Tim Melville's number six. You got Mustakas and Hosmer in there. You could take those, shuffle them up. You could really even go down to number eight, Danny Duffy. I mean, right. that would if you. I, I could see an argument. I mean, in my first, I could really see ranking him as low as ten if you wanted right. to, because because Chris Dwyer is a similar pitcher. Right, Chris Dwyer is a, a very similar pitcher. I mean, actually, that's probably the superficially, best. Superficially, I should say. Right, superficially, superficially. hard going left hander. But and the the thing that does jump out about the Royals is is okay, Mike Montgomery number one, hard throwing left hander. Right. Um, you know, now Arguelles, hard throwing left hander. John Lamb, not as hard throwing, more of a you know mixed athletic, left-hander, athletic left hander. Danny Duffy, kind of like Lamb. Then Chris, Chris Dwyer, hard throwing left hander. So that's, I mean, that's an amazing number of lefties. That's five lefties out of their top ten, which you don't see that very often. That's no. that's something that clearly they're emphasizing. You know, is hey, they're they're building around their hope. If there is hope for Royals fans, their hope is is that. Down the road, they have a pitching staff, you know, that can compete. And then we'll see if they have enough hitters. I mean, that's the question. We'll see. Uh, a, a real lack of up-the-middle talent in that organization, a real they, lack of depth after. Because really, like, David Lowe at 10 is a nice number 10. Jeff you, Bianchi. He kind of reminds me. I mean, he reminds me of Rene Tassoni, who's like 12 or 13 in, right. the, in the Twins list. So. Yeah, it's a good top ten, but it really does drop off significantly after about twelve or thirteen, right? Well, there. Lewis Coleman, I think, was thirteen. Yeah, Lewis Coleman. To too much away. Yeah, but Lewis Coleman's in there. Jeff Bianchi's in there. Those guys. I do think there's still some more pitching talent in that system. I, I think that's going to, you know, move up. You know, that's basically a, a little ways away. But really, what they still are lacking is you've got Jeff Bianchi, who really kind of resurrected his prospect status this year, but. They're still, they still need uh, a, you know, a couple more bats, especially, as you said, up the middle. They need another shortstop prospect or two that you can point to and say, okay, that guy really has a right. chance to be something. And a real lack of just upper-level, ready-to-help-in-the-major-leagues talent. Right. This system. This, this system is, if everything breaks right a year from now, this could be a top-five system, if everything breaks right, because right. they have a ton of guys who should be in double-A this year. But the key is, is that there's not one guy in their top ten, with the exception of Lowe, who now would have been bumped out of it to number 11, he's the only guy who had any time at double-A right. coming into the season. Here's my big reason for pessimism is that this, I don't think this organization knows how to handle pitchers or develop pitchers. And the, 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 we keep hearing this stuff with Mike Montgomery. I'm going to go on a long toss uh, soapbox here, but they don't let Mike Montgomery train the way that he trained to become a pitcher they felt was good enough to draft in the supplemental first round. I just think that's idiotic. There's no other way to put it. I think it's idiotic. And uh, the Royals are one of these organizations that throws a blanket over all their pitchers uh, when it comes to their training program and their throwing program. They want everyone doing the same thing. I don't understand that. I don't see the logic of that. I think it's the easy way out as opposed to actually coaching your pitchers. They're having that headbutting again with Mike Montgomery right now to our understanding, and we'll see what happens. Uh, I have a feeling that they're alienating the guy that is their number one prospect. We'll see how they handle Aaron Crow. If Aaron Crow comes out and his stuff isn't the same as it was in Missouri, will that be because of Aaron Crow not handling the the the, the downtime and all that kind of stuff, or will it be because of uh, the the Royals throwing program inhibiting him? His whole deal is fastball velocity and command. So I like Aaron Crow. I have a lot of reasons I like Aaron Crow, 
the number one thing is that he commands an above-average fastball. So let's see if he is the pitcher that he was before the Royals get their grimy paws on him. I am of the opinion that this organization is not good at developing pitchers, and I would feel better if I were a Royals fan if they were developing hitters because I don't trust their ability to develop pitchers. Uh, we'll, well, we'll see. They do have one shining example. Zach Greinke. That's a pretty shiny one. one shiny example. That's it, though, for the last decade. I mean, what else? Because Soria, obviously, you cannot really credit them for Soria because right. Soria pitched in the big leagues, basically. Right. And, and why was, is this three-pitch guy in their bullpen still? This first year, fine. You get him in the big leagues, put him in the bullpen, make sure he can handle it, and he did great. Why has this guy not been transitioning to their rotation? I mean, come on. He's closing on a 65-win team as opposed to making him your number two starter. He's got three pitches. Doesn't make any sense. I don't think the Royals have a clue about pitching, personally. And I know they all came from the Braves, but guess what? Between the time then <laughs> the Braves developed Jason Schmidt and Kevin Millwood in the late 90s and the time that Dayton Moore left the farm system, there's that gap, that late 90s to mid-2000s, where the Braves didn't develop any pitching either. I've talked about it in several podcasts. Basically, those guys get out. Tommy Hansen, doop. Chris Medlin, doop. Braves start developing pitchers again. I don't think it's a coincidence I think the guys who were in Atlanta in that time and now are in Kansas City don't know how to develop, to develop pitching. Just throwing it out there. If you don't like it, throw it right back at me on the Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. We can talk twins now if you'd like. That sounds good I to me. I got fired up. John got fired up there, as, as John ought to do. I just, I can't, you know. Got, we'll see the, what happens with my There were the, the words long toss and pitching. You know, you put those two and John's going to get fired up. I'm watching like a hawk. I'm focused on that like a laser. I'll, I'll use but, all my stupid so cliches. The, uh, the, the twin system... <laughs> it's all downhill from here. Yeah, the, the twin system, you know, it's, it's still... It, what jumps out is, is you have... I, I saw some people saying, I don't, you know, I don't know if I like that system. And I, I think see that. I, I was going to say, I, I think that you're... For one thing, you're underselling Aaron Hicks there. I, I think that I Aaron Hicks is... I, I feel you would agree with this, that you feel like he's one of the players who, a year from now when we're doing this, is going to be considered one of the better prospects in the minor league. I don't think there's a doubt about it. I mean, he has athleticism, he has aptitude, he does, he makes the game look easy. Um, he's gaining experience as a guy who wasn't a full-time hitter in high school. This guy was a scratched golfer in high school. So baseball really only became his focus, you know, a little bit later than some other players. Um, and the thing is, people knock his season in the Midwest League – he finished with an above average. I mean, he was above league average for the year in his on-base percentage. I think he was right at the league average for a slugging percentage. And he didn't start until late. So uh, this is a guy who, you know, the Twins a lot of times would have taken a guy like this and sent him to Elizabethan. You know, I mean, they, the Twins will take their time with these guys. And he pushed the agenda. So the Twins wanted to be a little bit more aggressive. I think that's easier to turn that up than it is to turn up the plate discipline ledger. So oh, I, think I think absolutely. He, he has all the tools. He has an advanced idea. of uh, He's patient at the plate. I, there's nothing not to like with this guy. I, yeah, I think the swing is good. I think the, you know, the, the arm and the speed are, you know, the arm's a premium arm. There's a lot to like with Aaron Hicks. But the key thing about what you like about this twin system, I mean, it's really not what's one through nine here. It's yeah. the fact that 10, 11, and go beyond that right. are guys who – you were trying to actually be a little conservative. Like if you were just rate, you know, if you were just ranking on tools, not considering like where Max Kepler came from. I mean, right. the fact that the track record of German outfielders. Oh wait, there is no track record of That's German right. outfielders. But That's right. take that away. Where's Max Kepler rank? On, you know, Max Kepler I'd was signed out of him, you know a Long Beach fifth. high school. Yeah. I would have put him fifth 
Uh, you know, and there's a couple players. I'm higher on Wilson Ramos than most people. His winter ball performance mattered a lot to me. He got he he hit for tremendous power in Venezuela this off season, and he was taking his walks at a better rate than he ever has in the U.S. because he was hitting for power, getting pitched around, and took his walks when he was getting pitched and, around. And that GCL club, you didn't push any of them, you know, top ten. Oh, but that GCL club was extremely exciting. The one thing, the one thing that really killed me about not rating was not ranking Adrian Salcedo, their right-handed Dominican pitcher, in the top ten. I have him at eleven. And the main reason for that was I could not get a scout. I got two scouts outside the organization who said that their organization had good reports on Salcedo. I could not find a scout outside the organization who saw him with his own eyes. So that was really what kept me from ranking him in the top ten. I I just didn't have a skeptical – I didn't have anything skeptical said about him. Whereas I did talk to people outside the organization about Kepler, and they buy in. And there's a thing out there, JJ, a couple people outside, uh, you know, a couple of ranking things have talked about Max Kepler and – uh, talks about him being a four-tool player because he won't hit, collapses his backside, and, his, and I've seen the scouting video about that. But um, if anybody thinks that this guy, that the swing you have when you're a 16-year-old German, <laughs> uh, or a 16-year-old from Germany, will be the swing that you have when you're a 21-year-old big leaguer, uh, that just is ignoring player development. Right. That, it's ignoring that, it. That, and the Twins have pretty good player development, and their track record for developing hitters is actually pretty good. Not all of them. But it's pretty good. There's a Joe Mauer in there. There's a Justin Morneau in there. Uh, there's, there's a, a Michael Kadir in there. There's a Denard Spann who there's has been Denard better Span than was expected. He's been a better hitter than it was expected. Took him, he would took be. him a long time, but figured it out. And uh, they're, they're bad examples in there, too. There's all the third basemen they've tried to draft. There's Trevor Plouffe. There's, uh, there's other examples. But with this guy's athleticism and the ease with which things come to him, um, yeah, I, I'm going to bet on the athleticism. And uh, that's why he's in the top ten. I thought he had to be in the top it, ten. And it's funny when you, you talk about that. It's like that's one of the things. Like I ran into I got some questions in the, in the Royals chat about uh, the there was a Korean catcher, 16 year old Korean catcher that they signed. Mm-hmm. And you know it's like, well, you know, did he? Where did he rank and all? And sometimes it's actually it's funny, but the mechanics of everything do get a little bit in the way. It's like, hey, the Royals really like this guy. Right. He's also not played in the U.S. He has not had one at bat yet in the U.S. Right. And he showed up for some. You know, he's just here for some workouts. So I can't get any, again, like you said, you want to have, I mean, one of the things that we emphasize is, is that you're not just talking to people in the organization. I think there's sometimes that perception that, well, right. here's, you know, we're it's ranking. an antiquated idea. Right. That, that is what we used, used to do it, no, there was a time. Yeah, Ten years ago, that may have been true on some of these lists. Right. But the key thing is, is we're essentially trying to, I mean, for the back of better words, cross-check these lists. Mm-hmm. And so you're running it by people from other organizations because then you are getting, you're definitely getting more weaknesses that way. No doubt. I mean, yeah. I, think the, I think the Twins 11 to 20. I mean, let's think of it this way: Jeff Manship's not even in their top 20, and this is a guy who has gone from who pitched in the major league last year, and I think probably will pitch in the big leagues for them this year. But uh, they have uh, an inordinate amount of pitching depth. Um, I'm bullish on their major league fran- uh, major league club because I, you know, the big X factor for me for them is Francisco Liriano, who's having a tremendous winter. Oh, if Liriano, uh, if Liriano's back to 90 percent of what Liriano was, then then, then there's then a the, number one starter. And, and then, they're, then they're the, they're the team to beat in the AL Central. How much better do the Twins look if they have a, an actual number one starter like Liriano? Then you slot in Scott Baker as an actual two, which I think he's like a two slash three. Then you slot in Carl Pavano and Nick Blackburn as your three, four guys, and, and Kevin Slowey. And those are, those are your three, four, five. And your extra pitchers are guys like Glenn Perkins, Brian Dunsing, Anthony Swarzak, Jeff Manship. That's four extra pitchers, all of them and, have big league experience and, we, and aren't cost contra- contained. And that's that, pitching depth. That's one of the things that I that I really, 
is one of my whole things that I now stand on is that I, I would love to see a team have legitimate options for Absolutely. that five starter because you're going to need six starters at least right. during the season. Sometimes you're going to need seven. If you have a bad year, you're going to need eight. And if the, and if you're the Twins and you have and you you don't fill your third base need as of yet, you 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 know right now Danny Valencia. The reason he's number six is Danny Valencia has a legitimate shot right now to be their big league third baseman. The fact they haven't gone out and gotten somebody tells me they have more faith in Danny Valencia than even I have. That's why I ranked him sixth. In terms of ceiling, he's not a top ten guy. He should have been behind Salcedo. I think he has a chance to be an average big league third baseman. That's the ceiling for him. He, there's some obstacles even to that. He's got to get more selective. You know, the defense has to be more consistent. But he has upside as an average big league third baseman, and that has significant value. That's why he ranked sixth. And he would not have ranked there if they had traded, say, Glenn Perkins or Brian Dunsing for uh, uh, Kevin Kuzminoff. But they haven't done that yet. They don't see a guy like Kuzminoff as a significant upgrade over Valencia yet. So, and they obviously have other options at third base. Nick Punto, Matt Tolbert, uh, Brendan Harris, I guess, is in that mix. Um, they're options. They're not great <laughs> options. They're not great options. And they've had that, a hole at third basically for seven years. And, you know, Joe Creedy sort of filled it last year. But I really do think, um, you know, if you see the Twins make a, 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 a trade, uh, what's the best commodity to trade? Is it cheap starting pitching and Brian Dunsing pitched 89 well, innings in their big league uh, the, rotation last year, and Glenn Perkins won 12 games two years ago in the big league. So. The best way to explain it, it is just like look, look, average guy. look at the Mitch Talbot trade. That's right. That's right. That's about what you're talking about here. Is right. You're talking about an extra starting pitcher. Well, what can you get for that guy? Well, you you know, in the Rays case, they got a guy now. Admittedly, it's partly because of the salary that you know right. Shopich is at this point, but. They got a guy who they're penciling in as, you know, maybe their regular everyday catcher. And I think the other thing it tells you is the there's not a lot of third baseman out there. <laughs> it's not a, no. That's why Adrian Beltre can hit eight home runs. I know he's a great defensive player, but let's face the guy hit eight home runs and still got nine million dollars. I mean, Scott Boris very good at his job, and uh, that, I, I think that the third base market is pretty thin. So great podcast, JJ. We'll uh, we'll have to come back and uh, wrap up the, all of our top tens, the American League West, uh, coming up next week. And then we'll be getting into our college stuff. So Aaron Fitt and I will do, get you a college podcast here coming up soon. Uh, here from the DeMarini Demo House podcast nook. Because when it comes to buying a baseball bat, DeMarini just changed the game. Introducing Demo House, where you can step into the cage and hit the latest from DeMarini before you buy. Because there's no substitute for hitting a real baseball or talking to people who know both bats and batting. Your demo time in the cage is free, so get the season started right. Visit your nearest Demo House today. Locations and full details can be found at demarini.com backslash demo house. So for JJ, I'm John. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.